because it was a 40 mile an hour tailwind and, and uh, waves were coming up over the top of the boat. Luckily yeah. they didn't get in, yeah. but we just did the old thing, go out and sail your blades. Just yeah. put your blades out and let the wind take you down, yeah. take fewer strokes. It was a lot of fun. Hello and welcome to Steady State Podcast, your rowing fix where the water's always flat, the catches are clean, and you can always hear the coxswain. We're revealing a narrative about rowing culture that celebrates the expansive array of rowers, coaches, and coxswains in a podcast designed to savor real-life experience from launch to cox seat at every level. We're Rachel Friedman and Tara Morgan, and this is Steady State Podcast. Sit ready. Thanks to everyone who listened to our last episode, a club spotlight on Oak Ridge Rowing Association, host of the 2021 U.S. Rowing Masters Nationals Championship. Their home course on Melton Hill Lake is second to none. But did you know that the lake was created in the 1960s when a power-generating dam was completed upstream? Or that club president Jim Rogers was inspired by his teenage daughter to learn to row? Or that ORRA is home to Atomic Rowing, whose blades painted with the nuclear symbol pay homage to an energy industry that has sustained Oak Ridge since 1943. If you missed it or any of our episodes, listen anytime at steadystatenetwork.com podcast or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, would you leave us a review? When you do, it helps our podcast get noticed and reach more ears. We are really interested in backstories, the experiences on and off the water that make people the rowers, coaches, and coxswains they are today. As a five foot one, 108 pound college freshman, Rachel Lemieux was literally picked up and placed in a coxswain seat. Today, she's the head coach of Martha's Moms, a master's women's team in Seattle, Washington. She's also a US rowing referee and FISA umpire. During her years in the cock seat, coach's launch, and chase boat, Rachel's seen her share of dodgy situations. Today, in her role as head of the U.S. Rowing Safety Committee, she wants to make sure that rowers, coaches, and coxswains have the knowledge and skills to be safer on the boathouse, on the water, and during regattas. Hi, I'm Rachel Lemieux, and I'm here at Lake Washington Rowing Club today. I'm the head coach of the Martha's Moms Masters Women's Rowing Team, and I also serve a number of roles at U.S. Rowing. I uh, am a U.S. Rowing referee. I'm the current trials coordinator for U.S. Rowing that selects the umpires to work our national team selection events. Very happy to be handing that over to Ruth McNamara at the end of this year. Uh, I'm also a FISA umpire, so occasionally I get to go internationally and officiate at various world championship events. And I'm also the chair of the U.S. Rowing Safety Committee. Wow, you're busy. Very busy, very busy. So we'll do our, um, thanks for joining us. Yes, Yes, thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, So I know Rachel from the Seattle rowing community as Martha's mom's coach, and also as a great advocate for Seize the Oars rowing out on the water as an umpire. So she's been a great resource for getting para out on the water safely and getting them compete. So thank you. You're welcome. How long have you two known each other? Fifteen years, maybe. Yeah, since I joined the community. So okay. that was about. I think we calculated it up. It was like two thousand eight or okay. something. Right. That I've been yeah. 
here. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So we really want to know just how people get involved in rowing. Sure. We'll talk to you about all sorts of stuff today, but Rachel, yes, tell us about your rowing week. What's going on out here? Well, this week we have been concentrating on seat racing to select an eight to hopefully compete at the head of the Charles uh, uh, Rowing Regatta in October. And we submitted our, we solidified the boat today. Wow. Uh, it's an eight. It'll be in the 60 plus category. Fun. Uh, we hope that we get an entry. We're going in through the lottery system. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Has the, has the, when was the last time Martha's Moms was at the Charles? We did race in the Charles in 2019 mm-hmm. and we just missed uh, a qualifying spot, uh, an automatic entry for this year's regatta. So you didn't get the automatic berth, but you know, I heard that if you just miss it, but you're in that next 25%, mm. you're actually considered higher in the lottery because the Charles wants competitive boats and they like a good underdog coming back and trying to get it. Right. Well, I hope that's true. We really um, want to go back. Uh, the team is very excited about being back at the boathouse, uh, rowing competitively. So many of them, as soon as we could get back on the water uh, post COVID restrictions, uh, we were out in singles and doubles, and it was a mix that we couldn't go out as a program, but like Washington Rowing Club had us going out, and I was a, a coach for them, uh, probably starting, what, about September of last year, getting people back on the water. Okay, so you coached this morning. It's currently Sunday. Rachel and I are visiting via a launch boat from Pocock Rowing Center. Yeah, We're visiting the Lake Washington Rowing Club. We hardly ever do our podcasts in person, so this is really fun. Um, So you were coaching this morning. Uh, What else is going on this week in rowing for you? Well, uh, in the upcoming week, uh, we'll be continuing to practice. I have uh, 25 constant rowers who show up. So I'll be uh, rowing on Tuesdays and Thursdays and, and not sure about next weekend because it's Labor Day weekend. So yeah. it might be Labor Day away weekend. Uh, yes. Everybody gets a break. Yeah. And plus, you've seen how choppy the water is this it's morning. and quite crazy choppy today. Is. You can imagine what it's like on a holiday. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even at even at 6 a.m. this morning, there were several pleasure boats out. You would think they would wait just a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. But that's the that's the beauty of being in this area. It's It's a very... Uh, eclectic area. You have stand-up paddle boards, you have yachts, you, you've got the fishermen, you've got everything out here, and we all learn to work together. Including um, shipping barges, yes. which often will take you by surprise mm. out here. Yes. So I'm curious, you know, when you did your intro, you listed off all of the things that you do in rowing. How does that factor into your week? Uh, I know when this podcast will have come out, you will have done part three? Part two. Part two of something for U.S. rowing. What's that? Right. So, uh, we would do, we're doing a series of webinars uh, on safety and uh, things to do. So like our part one was getting back to rowing safely. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one is gonna focus more on preparation for head race season. Um, it'll also end up talking about COVID a little bit more in the, in, you know, it's coming back, don't get complacent, make sure that you are paying attention and following safety protocols. And if everybody does that, hopefully we won't have another complete and total shutdown. Yeah. That's going to be really important to hear because I know that clubs are back on the water, even taking precautions. I can say for myself as someone who's been running with a master's program, you feel a little bit more comfortable, right? You're down around your crew and it can be really easy to say, oh, mask off, you know, we're all vaccinated. So thank you for continuing to to 
push that message? It is something that we're very, very aware of. And especially going into Head of the Charles, if we get in, mm -hmm. uh, the team has promised that we will be our pod back in Boston. And unfortunately, that means you won't go do some of the fun stuff you would normally yeah. do in October in Boston. But it's something that we've agreed to do because one, we have family members back home. Uh, we want to keep protected. Uh, and we also want to protect each other. So up until the race, if we get there, uh, it'll be a very um, tight knit group mm -hmm. doing very little other than race course and hotel room. So Tara and I like to look kind of outside the scope of what just happens on the water and racing and coaching. And we want to take it way back with you. So can you tell us about first days of getting involved with rowing, what that looked like, what else you were doing with your life and what got you hooked with rowing? Sure. Uh, great questions. I started in rowing in 1979 and it was at Western Washington University. I was walking through campus on the very first day of classes and there was this big, long, wooden cedar canoe thing. I had no idea what it was. Mm -hmm. Some really big, tall guy came up to me, said, your short looks like you're a coxswain, literally picked me up, put me into the coxswain seat of this shell that's on slings yeah. and said, we're having a meeting tonight. We expect to see you there. And I was like, I don't even know what that word is. I have yeah. no idea what you're talking about, <laughs> but I don't really have any friends up here yet. So sure, I'll play along. Mm -hmm. And that was that was how it got started. <laughs> it. So how tall are you right now? Uh, I'm five foot one. And back in 1979, I was 108 pounds. And uh, I started off with the men's crew mm -hmm. coxing. I did not like it. Um, to be quite honest, having a guy throw up in your lap no. after a hard piece is not something that I was looking forward to on a daily basis. So, and I wanted to row. Uh, I was an athlete, or still am an athlete. I very much wanted to row, so I went over to the women's team. Unfortunately, there were two seats available. There were about 50 women who tried out. Two of us made it to the very end uh, because, again, we practiced in the afternoon, bad water, and in the mm. fall. It's freezing cold out. Yeah. There were two seats, the coxswain seat and the bow seat. Well, at five foot one and 108 pounds, you can imagine that the woman who was five foot seven and height weight proportionate ended up in the bow seat. Mm -hmm. And that started my coxing career in rowing and I've never given it up. Mm -hmm. What do you remember about getting in the coxswain seat early on? And did it take you a little while to fall in love with it since you kind of had your eye on rowing? Uh, it didn't take long to fall in love with yeah. it. Um, my personality type is I do like to get out. I do like to lead. I, I, I like to solve problems. Uh, so that's perfect for a coxswain. I will say that this is where um, current life uh, intercedes or crosses over with prior life in that my stroke in college happens to be uh, one of the Martha's moms today. And she called me up and said, do you want to come coach? And I, uh, we'll talk about that in, in a little bit. And I said, sure. But she was my stroke hmm. in my freshman year. And she was the best teacher I ever had. Oh, Plus wow. the coach we had uh, was really into teaching you about boat movement, teaching you about the Zen or, you know, the mental side of rowing. And that made it very fun. And he just didn't tolerate bad rowing. So he taught you how to mentally connect. Uh, along with Carol and the stroke, uh, we ended up having a very successful year and I was hooked. I never I've never left the sport. That's a great combination of 
a good coach, a good focus for a team. And it almost sounds like it's a little outside the box of what a collegiate rowing program is. And and for those listening, uh, the Vikings up at Western Washington currently have a uh, proper varsity women's rowing team. And the men's team is actually a club team. Hmm. So just they do that kind of interesting Mm -hmm. split up there. But go Vikings. The women were the national champions, I think, three years ago. They were national champions. They actually hold the record for the most uh, um, consecutive national championships. So what was it about boat movement? Like how were you able to translate what he was talking about in boat movement? What were some of the things that you would say to the crew kind of of your own thoughts? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, coxswains who do more than steer and do more than count. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's a real leader. And you're basically the second coach in the boat. Was there anything in particular that really helped the boat with, boat movement and boat feel. Do you right. Remember? So yeah, so there's two things about boat movement and boat feel. One is just how to make it go through the water, how to, you know, start out and go through the water and not have it slow down. Uh, so he taught me things like if you keep going back and forth with your body, right? If the boat is throwing you backwards, there's a lot of check. They're rushing their slide. Um, if the boat constantly goes from side to side, there are reasons why it's going from side to side. It's unbalanced. And so he would he say, the first thing you need to check is look up and see if their bodies are in alignment. The second thing to check is their oars. Are the oars in alignment, right? Are they, are they parallel? Are they moving up and down the gunnels together, handle heights, all of that. And then the third thing was timing. Are they in and out together? And all of those things, it breaks it down to the most simplistic part of rowing. Right. And um, he would talk to me about how I was being thrown around in the boat, so to speak, and how to settle that down a mm-hmm. bit. And when you learn that, and it's not just sitting in a seat and, you know, being expected to steer and say a few things, when you learn how what they're doing affect you, you can become a better coxswain. Mm-hmm. Once you start feeling that and feeling how you as a coxswain are connected or not connected to the boat, and um, because of what's happening uh, with the with the oarsmen, definitely. It took me a long time um, as a coxswain to to really recognize. Okay, I can I can hang on to the gunnels, <laughs> I can scooch down a little bit, and I can control my own body as well as the coxswain. I don't need to I don't need to be thrown around quite right, so much. Right. But understanding when you feel it what that means right. and translating it back to your crew is really key. So and this Rachel is also a coxswain well, and excellent. has a lot of coxing history. I, on the other hand, you know, I've done learned to row coxing. There you go. <laughs> uh, I will say that the second part of, of boat movement, boat handling was just how to make the boat move the way you needed it to move when you needed it. So lining mm-hmm. up for a race, mm-hmm. how do you make your boat go side to side without going forward? Um, how, you know, understanding how an oar moves through the water, where it needs to be, you know, because if you just have your bow pair, you know, take a light stroke or you need your st- uh, uh, bow seat to take a stroke, the boat's going to go forward. So how do you get yourself back on point without going forward? If you're on a stake boat, the last you know, thing that frustrates referees the most mm-hmm. is not being able to align quickly because boats keep getting pulled you know, forward of the start line. Mm-hmm. So learning those types of things, I think, uh, really made Western kind of stand out because we, we knew how to move boats uh, forward, laterally, backwards without, um, you know, too much trouble. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just thinking a lot because I come at this from a master's perspective. I learned to row and Cox uh, in my 20s. And there's just so much, all of that 
feeling and understanding what oars do what with the boat, a lot of master's coaches haven't coxed, right? And they can't coach that. And I think that's a really interesting thing for master's coaches to mm -hmm. consider. I've been in so many boats. I'm sure all of us have so many boats where the coxswain's just not quite sure how to move a boat, especially that side to side idea. Right. We're, we're going to have to talk some more about that. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> we we're very interested in doing a show that talks about master's coxswains, mm -hmm. getting them, training them, retaining them, mm -hmm. make, keeping them happy and fed and watered and mm -hmm. all of that. <laughs> a little coxswain TLC, uh, care and feeding of master's mm -hmm. coxswains. Um, yeah. It's definitely an episode that we want to, have because I used to, I used to teach learn to row and I still teach learn to row, but I would also teach learn to cox, mm -hmm. you know, because I would try to pull out folks uh, who were in maybe a master system where it's a numbered system, like at Conabare, it's a numbered system and Mount Baker, it's a numbered system every, so, you know, during a cycle you would cox mm -hmm. and then maybe you wouldn't cox until three months later yeah. and you'll have a master's coxswain who in one of my practices said to me, and I didn't listen to her about how long it had been. Mm -hmm. She said it had been like three or four months or something. Mm -hmm. And she promptly forgot the phrase way enough mm -hmm. in a very important situation mm -hmm. and broke the entire bow off mm -hmm. the eight against my launch boat. Mm -hmm. Just couldn't get out of the way in, in time. Right. You know, mm -hmm. She right. just was coming in hot mm -hmm. to a dock and I was trying to help her, you know, so stuff like that. It's like, uh, there's gotta be a way that we can help our master's coxswains and also recruiting new coxswains. Right. Yeah. We were we were very lucky this year uh, in that um, we had some coxswains from a high school uh, that rose out of this boathouse that didn't have anything to do during the summer. And so they agreed to, to help us out. And so uh, it was really good to have the experienced coxswains, but they're back in school now. Mm -hmm. So they're gone. And uh, our system, we keep a tally. Uh, it's not necessarily a numbered system where you're like, every 10th time you're going to cox or something, but I, I do look at it. Uh, one of the rowers keeps track. I look at it. If you haven't coxed in a long time, you're going to get in the boat. We keep it by date when, when you cox mm -hmm. and, and you can pretty much figure that about once every other month, you're probably going to end up in the coxswain seat. We currently have an athlete who's injured. And so she has been very good about sitting in the coxswain seat for us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I put three eights out on the water, this summer, I might have three experienced people in the coxswain seat, which you yeah. rarely get unless <laughs> right. you have, unless you've been successful at recruiting. And, and it's hard mm -hmm. at this level. It's really hard to find coxswains who want to be consistent and part of your team. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. So you had talked about being athletic, wanting to have an oar in your hand in college. Mm -hmm. When did you get that opportunity? I'm assuming that came along eventually. It did. It did. And it was here at Lake Washington Rowing Club. Um, there was a master's team here at the time and I just decided I wanted to go out and row in a pair. Now my, God love you. I, my <laughs> wife, it was a rower for Martha's moms. Actually, she was a coxswain for Martha's moms. And, uh, we met each other through a coach who said well, they were going to do seat racing and they needed to experience coxswains. And so they asked if I would come over and help them with seat racing. I did. We got to talking and decided we were going to go row a pair. Mm -hmm. And we did. Mm -hmm. And, and I you don't... got married after that. <laughs> yeah, we did. The rest is <laughs> just a good love story. That's a good love story. So, so what, what was interesting about it is, you know, we're not strong. We're not, we're not tall. We're never going to be that way. But we went straight 
And because we went straight, we actually won like third place out of six boats at certain regattas yes. because nobody else could go straight. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, and we're like, we can't pull hard enough to not go straight. Right. So, I mean, it was just in and mm. out. We actually uh, uh, raced in Austin at Masters Nationals. We did come in dead last. However, we had coxed all day long, each one of us for our separate teams. And yeah. I think getting in that seat to, to race that pair in Austin with 100 plus degrees at the end of the day, we had each had nine races as coxswains oh, that day. So we got in there and uh, I'll never forget this. We rode and our coach at the time um, from Martha's Moms made the entire crowd get up and cheer us on to the finish line, <laughs> kind of commentating on how many races we had all had yeah. and what was going on. And we crossed the finish line and I said, you got to keep rowing to get under the shadow of that bridge because I think I'm going to lose everything that's inside and I don't want to do it in front of all of these people. <laughs> and uh, anyways, yeah. and then we rode in Vienna uh, at Masters Worlds. And it was a, a day, it, I, I kid you not, 40 mile an hour tailwind, which we looked at each other and we said, it's getting pretty rough out there, but we're here. Let's go ahead and do it. And of course we knew we were racing against, I, I swear the Russian team that we were racing against was former Olympics. I don't know, yeah. <laughs> but they were tall big. and they were big. Yeah. Anyways, we came in last on that piece too, but it, because it was a 40 mile an hour tailwind and, and uh, waves were coming up over the top of the boat, luckily yeah. they didn't get in, yeah. but we just did the old thing, go out and sail your blades. Just yeah. put your blades out and let the wind take you down, yeah. take fewer strokes. It was a lot of fun. But when we got back to the dock, all the rowers in, in that entire race had to help each other get their boats out because the wind kept taking them. You'd get them up over your head and the wind would grab. So everybody came down to help. Oh, wow. And we all congratulated each other at the end. And, and uh, that was that. That yeah. was the last race I was ever in as a, as a rower. Get bonus steady state content, early access to podcast episodes, and store discounts when you join our Patreon community for as little as $5 per month. Become a patron today at steadystatenetwork.com slash Patreon. In two, we're back with Rachel Lemieux. That's one, two. So when did you make the transition and get interested in umpire and safety and U.S. rowing? Did they... Right. We, so the, um, the order of things is you go to Western, you're a coxswain, mm -hmm. then you're a rower, and then and I just cox forever. You use cox forever. <laughs> right. You meet your wife, you go on to your rowing career. And where does that go from there? Right. So I had been recruited uh, heavily by Northwest rowing officials to, to join their ranks. They always, they try to go after coxswains a lot because they think we're pretty, you know, we're, we're going to get it. And we you're understand. Officious. We're officious. Yes. And uh, well, we're not officious, but, um, that we understand boat movement. We understand how to help people because, you know, when you're at a regatta, sometimes it's hard and people don't know how to get into a start line and things like that. Uh, and I was not ready to leave the coxswain seat because if you're, if you're officiating, you're not coxing. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it took me quite a while to make that decision. And then I finally did, and it was work-related. Uh, I could no longer practice full-time. Mm -hmm. Um, so I felt like, well, if I can't practice full time, it's, you know, even though I was a coxswain and I was like, we don't care if you ever come to practice, but we want you to race mm -hmm. at that point. I was like, no, I want to do something different. Uh, so I decided to become a U.S. rowing official. And that was, um, I've been at 
doing officiating now for 25 years. Okay. So it's been a while. Um, and a couple of years after I became an assistant referee, I, I ended up getting my uh, full license, uh, began uh, chiefing regattas, uh, and from there um, decided I wanted to become a FISA umpire and went through that process. It's a long process. You have to get yourself mentored into it. You need to go uh, observe international regattas. And the test is worse than the CPA exam. I'm a CPA by uh, trade. Mm -hmm. And uh, the test to become the, a piece of umpire, I have to say, was worse than the four parts of the really? CPA exam. <laughs> but we did it. And I did it and passed. And, you know, that's history. 2000 and I'm going to say 2006 maybe okay. is when I became a FISA umpire. It could be 2008. We were talking to a young assistant uh, ref at Masters Nationals. Mm -hmm. um, I think he's really just just beginning. And I didn't realize how long the process was. Yep. How long are you an assistant before you become a full Right. What do you? What's it called? That is uh, well. So so now we call we just call them referees. referees. Um, so you have you're an assistant referee and then you're a referee, uh, and it it depends on you as an as an assistant. How much time do you have to devote? Uh, are you gonna do like six, seven, eight regatta days? We call them regatta days, which may not be eight regattas. It could be you know a, a weekend regatta that's two days. Uh, and if you're fully committed to uh, learning the craft, so to become uh, an assistant referee requires uh, a candidacy, some observations, which you can do relatively quickly and passing a written exam. Mm -hmm. Then you're in your, um, we don't call it an apprentice phase, but you can kind of consider it that as an assistant referee, you do whatever you want to do. You learn. And if you want to become a, a referee in two to three years, as long as you're putting in the time and putting in the days and uh, we have clinicians, I'm a clinician, we observe assistant referees. And when they're ready, they say, I, I want to take the test. And so clinicians will get together uh, along with their regional representative and decide whether the person is ready. Mm -hmm. And when they are, they then have to take a written another written exam. This one's open book. The assistant exam is closed book. The referee is open book. It's graded by clinicians. And then there is an on the water practical exam mm -hmm. where oh, we wow. put you through your paces at every single one of the positions. And that is just simulated regatta? Well, it, we hope to do, we, we really want to do it at a real regatta. And I'll tell you about my test. My test was interesting in that they didn't have to simulate anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, because sometimes you have a perfect regatta and nothing goes wrong, right? Well, at the regatta that I was being tested for my practical, um, we had all kinds of issues. We had the timing system breakdowns while I was observing the, um, uh, you know, chief referee or the referee position at the finish. Um, and uh, so what do you do there, mm -hmm. right? How do you recover from that? when I was chasing races, they did this on purpose, but it, I chased pairs. So when you chase pairs and remember what I said before, they can't go straight. Totally. So of course they're not going straight. Mm -hmm. And one crew is there, there's certain commands you give as a referee. And, and one of them is uh, keep apart where you just raise your white flag up and you just say, keep apart. Mm -hmm. uh, you're directly behind the two crews that are starting to get close to each other. I've been in that race. Right. <laughs> then there, then there are, is the time when they start rowing off course mm -hmm. and they're going to row into a log. Mm -hmm. So you 
say, if it's an unknown log, right? Like you didn't know it was there, you raise your right flag and you say obstacle and you point in the direction you want the crew to go. Mm -hmm. This crew would not stop. And there was literally a big tree that, <laughs> that they were going to, that was floating that they were going to run into. So then I got to stop them mm -hmm. individually and then redirect them and tell them to start rowing again. Mm -hmm. So the, I got to do every single command possible um, in a, uh, regatta. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Um, but sometimes we have to simulate that when mm -hmm. we're teaching or doing testing for other referees. Mm -hmm. I can tell by talking to you that you're, you're a little bit like Rachel and I, when we got together, we met on a Facebook page, um, not knowing each other. And we were talking about representation in rowing mm -hmm. and, and representation in, in the lexicon. And we also have in common that we could talk about it all day, every day. <laughs> and you seem like you're simpatico with that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, you really light up talking about rowing. Yeah. And I'm wondering what, what really lights you up about it? Like, mm. what is it? What, like I say, sometimes rowing is transformational or, or mm -hmm. what, like, we, I've asked this question before. If you were standing in a coffee shop and someone said, "Oh, rowing! I've always wanted to try that," what would you what would you say to someone? Right at this stage, right now, in the coaching, uh, more coaching phase that I am in, uh, I talk to them about learning more about their bodies, um, kind of transforming their bodies, transform becoming part of a community, even if it's single rowing, single sculling, you become part of a fantastic community where everybody is very supportive. Uh, everybody wants everybody to succeed. And I, as a coach, want to see you go from not knowing anything to knowing everything that you possibly can, right? Mm -hmm. And that could take years. But the bottom line is, is that introducing people to the water, to the sport I love, to something that you don't really get a chance to do, right? If uh, I, I didn't even know rowing existed when I was growing up, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it was in prep schools on the East Coast, mm -hmm. right? So I didn't, I didn't know anything about it. And I found out about it. And the thought that I could help somebody, you know, also get into it. Uh, I did a lot of learn to row for Lake Washington back in the day. Um, I was a sweep rower, and yet I teach sculling. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I did, so uh, I'm in, uh, as I said earlier, I'm a CPA. And uh, I've been doing that for 35 years and I'm getting uh, closer to the end of my career than I am to the beginning. And I decided that I wanted to, uh, you know, have a path after retirement to, to fill my days. So back in 2017, I made the decision to get my master's in sports coaching and leadership mm -hmm. through Drexel University. Uh, and I did that. I got my degree in 2018. It must have been 2016 because I got my degree in 2018. I'm now a level three certified U.S. rowing coach. And uh, I do a lot of sculling, uh, coaching and teaching. Hmm. And it's just something because you understand movement. Uh, I've been in a sculling boat three times one due to an emergency and mm -hmm. the other two just for fun. Mm -hmm. But I understand boat movement. I understand how your hands, I do a lot of study, a lot of video work, uh, looking at things, talking to a lot of coaches. And I just love seeing somebody finally get it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think as a coach, seeing the light bulb go off right. is a really exciting moment. Right. right. So do you, are you a flip catch fan or a non flip catch fan? <laughs> I am not a flip catch fan. <laughs> okay. So for those listening, we have the school of Frank Cunningham here at uh, Lake Washington Rowing Club, especially mm -hmm. the school of Frank Cunningham, yes. which is also known as the flip catch. Yes. <laughs> he really believed that that was the, a very efficient way to row a boat. And right. uh, we're here at the Lake Washington Rowing Club 
um, which has been here how long? Um, this particular facility has been here since the early 90s. But the um, whole thing was started way, way, way back. Way back when, when Frank Cunningham found a floating derelict uh, yacht house and was able to get it and it's parked. We, it's, we still own that boathouse. It is parked over south end of Lake Union on the east shore. Used to be between the NOAA ships. I'm not quite, I think there's dry docks there now. We drove by it and okay. I, I meant to say that it, it's down there. Well, we're looking at some photos of very, very traditional crew cut young men yeah. rowing boats uh, behind us, but we're seeing a name like Ted Nash yes. um, who recently passed. Uh, we actually saw Ted Nash, number three at Masters National. So nice. shout out to Ted nice. Nash, number three. So nice. So nice. Such nice people. Um, but I'm interested in the history of Martha's Moms mm -hmm. because I come from Conabare, which mm -hmm. was started in, I think, 1984. Right. Yeah, 1984. And Martha's Moms are right around that same time. Yeah. Right. So there's some, some of these uh, West Coast Masters women's teams mm -hmm. that really hold a place in history. Right. Uh, right. Starting, I believe, with Slack. Yes. Down in San Diego, yes. uh, which I don't even know what it stands for, but I don't think it stands it's for the, anything. It's the first initial of the first name of the four women who, who started it. Zelda is the only one I know. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. Um, you know, I, we, we were telling you, Rachel, earlier the, the origin of the name Conabear mm -hmm. for Conabear Rowing Club came from Hiram Conabear's family saying right. that Sarah and Eleanor could use the name Conabear. But, but do, you remember, do you know what their first name was? Dick's Chicks. Dick's Chicks, that's I right. Told, I told her the whole story about the bet at the Yacht Club and Dick's Chicks. and I coxed the Dick's Chicks on opening day. No! Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Cool. Well, we yes, just I came did. through the Montlake Cut. She yeah. got to see the walls. Yeah. And, well, Dick's Chicks is a... To me, it's such a moment in history for women's sports. Yes. Um, those were women at the time in 1984 who had not experienced Title IX, who were well into their midlife and raising mm -hmm. children and married yep. life and the thought of being a competitive athlete was probably the furthest thing from their minds but they saw women like Eleanor McIlvain and Sarah Lopez and saw these young strong women and, and coxswains like you and said I want to do that yep something about that is intriguing to me yep. so tell me about Martha's Moms and it's such an unusual name too right so Martha's Moms the origin is uh, it grew out of Lakeside High School Martha Beattie who is the namesake of Martha's Moms, was uh, teaching at Lakeside High School and was their rowing coach. So she uh, decided that we need, she wanted to get some of the moms of, the, of her athletes out on the water. And so really that's the genesis. She ended up getting a bunch of the mothers of the Lakeside students who were rowers out on the water. Which is actually a pretty typical thing to do now. Correct. It's Rower Parent Day. Yes. Um, and that's a little bit of how Dick's Chick started, too. It was yep. a bunch of, of gals. And by the way, Dick is Dick Erickson, yes. uh, one of the coaches. Sorry, I didn't know if we said that earlier. No, uh, legendary coach. Legendary coach. Yes, the Huskies. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I have had more than one debate with rowers, coaches, and coxswains mm -hmm. about the term way enough. <laughs> And I think you might know where this is going. Could you please spell way, way for us in the way enough phrase? Well, I, good question. I think it's uh, W-E-I-G-H. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. oh my God. Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. It's way as in make 
way. way. It's like, it's like, stop. <laughs> Make way. No, it's something that you, it's a term you get and you never even think about it. You might read about it once or twice, but once you learn it, you don't think about it again. I, ha- I have to always remember when I'm teaching Learn to Row not to say way enough because they don't know what the hell right. I'm talking about. Right. Like, stop. Yes. Now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So the debate is ongoing. The difference between way, as in there is weight that needs to be moved, not moved, and right. making way. I think that you're absolutely right, Tara. It's making as a, way. As a nautical term. Yes. Um, and you've made way. enough way. Yeah. <laughs> made Thank enough you. Way. <laughs> you know, that's, my, my yeah. thing is just, my thing is, it's a term, it's a term of art in rowing. And first thing I teach people is how to stop a boat. Yeah. Right. And, and whether you're in a sculling boat with, you know, no coxswain or you're in a sweet boat with a coxswain, understanding the, when it's way enough, right. And I just say way enough. It's just the, it's like, uff, U-F-F, way enough. That's the way, I mean, that's not how it's spelled. It's how I pronounce way enough. I like that. And there's the difference between way enough, stop rowing. And the little more urgent way enough hold, mm-hmm. and then the absolute, you know, screaming way enough hold hard mm-hmm. and lean one way or the mm-hmm. other. First thing I teach people mm-hmm. because yeah. uh, without it, things can go wrong. Yeah, I teach it as um, way enough, way enough, <laughs> <laughs> and I teach them what check it means. Yeah, it's like yeah. check it hard. Yeah, check, check it, hard. it, check it hard. And since we're getting into this, also understanding as the coxswain, it doesn't always have to be all eight check. Like if you need that boat to move in a certain direction, port side check, correct? starboard side check. And who, as a rower in the boat sometimes, who's also a coxswain and coxswains don't know how to make those calls. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so cool. You can imagine Rachel's maybe a bit of a backseat driver. Nope. <laughs> no. She's good. She keeps, she keeps her trap closed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, so what's happening with Martha's moms now? So Martha's moms, when I first met Martha's moms, they were a force to be reckoned with. Mm-hmm. They were one of the most competitive women's masters teams. And we've seen in the last five years, just in the last five years, mm-hmm. the eclipse of women's rowing by things like uh, Chinook performance racing or mm-hmm. here in the Northwest college club. So where does Martha's moms now sort of fall in the stratosphere or the right. stratum of, of women's masters competitive rowing? Cause you're talking about going to the Charles mm-hmm. and I would imagine there are going to be a contender in the 60 plus one. We, we certainly do hope so. Is that with the 1980 team? Are they now in that category? They are now in that category oh. as is the boat. Um, the name will come to me. Uh, they've moved up. Uh, Long Beach uh, oh, has right. moved up. Our 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 LBRA. nemesis, yes, our nemesis, Long Beach. Who they were always the younger, we were always the older, um, and so that we would do well, and you know, and then they catch up to us, and we'd be the oldest in that category. They'd be the youngest, right? And so, but yes, they they are now in the sixty plus. Uh, yeah. category so that's a tough category i think um i've noticed in the last 10 years that 40s category became really tough with a lot of national team yes. people coming yes. back to the sport and finding that they could return to the sport and get comp- and be competitive yes which has now turned into the 50s the women's right. 50s category right. is is way good and the way to the the way i i think that means that we're being successful at getting uh, two things one the lifelong uh, 
you know, part of this sport. It is a lifelong sport. So you can do it in high school, you can do it in college, you can take your time off, do your career, uh, start your family, whatever it is that, that happens. And it's something you can come back to because the sport has grown, it's exploded. And particularly in on the women's side, it has really mm-hmm. exploded. So uh, one, our sport is growing dramatically. Um, and with that comes different levels of performance. So if you've been, if you did it in a D1 school and you took 15 years off and you come back, you don't forget what it was like in a D1 school. Mm -hmm. It's like riding a bike. Those things do come back. So yeah, it's getting more competitive. Okay. Um, we love the team, right? Bring it. We love the team community. Uh, we're not a Rolodex crew. Uh, I hope that doesn't offend anyone, but the bottom line is, is we love being here, being part of the same community, seeing each other, you know, three days a week, sometimes four days a week. uh, And we're a family. And you guys always have a lot of fun and you're always one of my favorite crews to see at regattas because um, they're very noteworthy. They're very strong women. They're very entertaining. They're so fun to be around. And they you can tell that when it's time to get to work, they get to work. Yes. But they always have a good time. I, I've always loved uh, Martha's moms. I remember standing on the bridge at Montlake and watching Connor Bear actually beat Martha's moms for the first time in the opening day Windermere Cup. And I remember standing next to a Martha's mom and she was like, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it was like... Well, you know, and Conover had had kind of a rebirth at that point where mm-hmm. they had gotten a lot of returners from yes. from high from collegiate rowing yes. to come into the club and it wasn't the same old guard, right, you know. Right. So I think every club goes through those waves of recruitment. Mm-hmm. So does Martha's mom still actively recruit newbies and has learned to row students or new novices come into the club? Right. So Martha's moms typically does not have novice. They, they'll try to run a novice program every once in a while if it fits in with uh, like Washington's schedule. Uh, but we are, we typically look for ex- more experienced rowers. Um, and we, you know, we're an older team, uh, but we're starting to say, no, we want, we want the twenties. We want the thirties. We have to re- we have to keep the longevity of the team. Right. So how do you do that? Well, you b- build the successorship into it. Uh, we um, benefited out of COVID. I hate to say that, that other teams didn't benefit out of COVID because they couldn't get on the boathouse. And so athletes looking for a place to, be able to come and row, came to Lake Washington, they went to Lake Union, they went to College Club, they went to the boathouses that were able to open their doors um, and safely open their doors, uh, slowly to start with singles, then with doubles, then maybe with quads. We only started rowing in programs again with sweet boats, right? We only started that um, maybe two and a half, three months ago, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's a very similar story to a right, lot of boathouses, right. yeah. And so one of the reasons we decided not to go to Masters Nationals, not because of its location, although whew, I, I don't know how I would have done in the heat, but um, you know, we decided we did not have enough time on the water with each other to make that trip. And that what we wanted to do was to focus on the head race season. Mm-hmm. So can we talk safety sure. next? And You've then my and then favorite thing. Well, there are two things I think that you and I had mm. thought we might like to ask Rachel about in terms of safety. And I'm, I mean, this could be a whole other conversation, you know, about safety. But I'm wondering if there's something very specific that happened on the water that was not good that you have seen that you could talk to us a little bit about. Sure. 
I'll, I'll talk about what made me get interested in safety, U.S. Rowing Safety Committee and things like that. It was at that same uh, Masters Nationals at Austin that I actually rode in. Uh, I was the coxswain uh, of, a, of a very experienced group of men in a four. Uh, Tiff Wood was the stroke. Mm. So that kind of tells you the, the caliber of folks that, that, that was in that boat. And it was a Bowcox boat. We did not have a boat. We had to borrow one. And so I'm not sure which crew we borrowed one from, but it was a brand new Vespoli bow loader. It had never been rowed before. Oh, wow. So because Tiff Wood was the stroke and he convinced them that I was a good coxswain, they loaned it to us. Well, here's where I didn't understand certain things about boats, believe it or not. I didn't know that when you were in a Bowcox boat, you could actually adjust something to put your feet against so that you didn't, you know, Right. I know where this is going. And it also had a steering mechanism that was pointed right at your oh, head. And yeah. so this boat, we, we, there were two things that happened in this, in this boat. First, we get up to the start line and the starter says go. And I went all the way to the bow of that. Yeah. Boat. And then I had to crawl back. And I, as I'm doing it, I'm seeing the steering mechanism pass over my yeah. head. So I crawl my way back up. And they take their next stroke and I go right into the bow of the boat again. And I clip something with my feet. I could tell there was something down there. And uh, anyways, I got myself and I made myself really big. You know how animals, like if they're cold or whatever, they puff up. I made myself as big as I could possibly be and put my elbows against that boat and sat there because the stroke, Tiff, was saying some things I can't repeat, but he wanted to know what was going on back there, <laughs> right? So but it was probably about 10 strokes in before I, I got settled. Anyways, we uh, won uh, by basically curvature of the earth. And um, so we, I, the rowers all had another race to get to. So yeah. rather than do the sportsmanship thing and wait until the end, we just started heading back to the dock. Mm-hmm. Well, we had a thing that we did with uh, our oars. When we come into the dock, we would take our dockside oars out and stand up and get out. Okay, well, it's a Bowcox and it was a bucket rig boat. Oh. And the boat flipped oh. right at the dock. With you still in the boat? We're all still in the boat. Oh. It had flipped oh. really quickly. Girl. And so we're all still in the boat and we go over and I'm thinking, wow, this, this could be not fun. I mm. don't like, sw- I don't swim very well. I swim now, but I didn't swim a lot back then. And uh, so my bowman reaches around and I have short hair, but how he did it, he still got hair and pulled me out and I'm dog paddling like mad. And then he says, Rachel, stand up. So I did. I was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, okay. But I'm counting heads now because that's my job, yeah. right? I don't see Tiff. Mm-hmm. He is in the boat. He did not have heel ties. Oh. He ha- could not get out of that boat. He had to literally use all of his force to break out of that boat and get out. And that incident, then we gave the boat back, not only had we busted the, you know, the seat there, the, Mm -hmm. the, the boot stretchers, uh, I had also unknowingly busted whatever stop it was that they had in the boat. Right. So brand new boat, never Mm -hmm. been rowed. We row it and comes back in pieces. Comes back in pieces. Thank you very much. I'm so sorry. Right. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) Lesson learned though. Heel ties became uh, a mantra with me because I always had athletes who, uh, they'd do heel ties to get through control commission. And then they'd immediately untie them because they wanted to have, they couldn't, they couldn't get the reach. They wanted the flexibility they needed. So they would untie them. 
Uh, second of all, it was understanding that um, um, steering mechanisms pointed right at a coxswain's head are probably not the best thing, right? We need to move them off to the side, do something or use uh, or, or have the ropes alongside. Mm -hmm. Um, and just this whole idea that you could flip a boat even at the dock, mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. and, and have that problem. So, uh, yeah. And the other safety thing, and this is more recent, um, I'm going to say it was in 20, we're in 2021, last year, we don't even count, probably 2017, I was the chief referee of the Heart of Texas down in Austin. And we had told everyone um, at the coaches and coxswains meeting that we had an out of bounds area and we'd had it. I was the chief referee the year before, and we just kind of turned, you know, our, the other way and didn't really mind if they went up there this time, because we did not have the coverage, the safety coverage, the launch coverage to monitor that area. We stressed, you go in that area, you go. So at your own peril and we meant it. And I'm, sitting back, I'm at the chief referee tent sitting there and all of a sudden I get a very distressed call that there had been a very serious accident, two men's quads going at full speed, basically uh, T-boned. Well, they, they went head to head. Oh. And uh, there was blood, there was broken. I mean, there was mm. a lot of things. And, wow. and I was able to probably touch the ground three times on my way to a launch, mm. get in a launch and drive up there, uh, passing a launch that was on the way back with the athlete that needed to be loaded into a, um, you know, into an ambulance. Uh, one of the rowers uh, had a broken back um, and uh, broken pelvis. Um, another rower had sliced, you know, had pretty much uh, sliced open a leg. Um, and that just said to me, you gotta, you know, that's wrong. And there's nothing that the regatta did wrong. There's nothing that the referees did wrong. We said, don't go there. Mm -hmm. And they chose to do it. And it caused this problem. Well, now as part of the safety committee, I'm adamant about getting the word out. You've got to follow what they're telling. We tell you these things for a reason. They right. are not to be ignored. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think it's great to have such experience on the safety committee because you've seen a lot, mm -hmm. you've heard about a lot. There's probably lots of war stories in the referee <laughs> tent, sitting around the referee tent. <laughs> lots of, oh, yeah, I've seen this and that. Yep. Um, so what's next for the safety committee? I mean, I know we're we're really low on regattas this year, so there's mm -hmm. not, a, not a lot of need for umpires. Um, are they have Did the umpires all take a step back, maybe, and, and do some reflection and planning? And right. Well, let's separate the two. The safety committee is separate and apart from the referee committee. Mm -hmm. And so uh, on the safety committee, we focus more broad-based on everything rowing-related. Uh, the referee committee focuses on the referee side of things. Um, and I can tell you that they spent a lot of time putting together education, online education, so that because we couldn't meet in person, we would have training modules that we could use online. So they did a really great job of that, plus putting together the safety uh, COVID protocols for when there would be regattas. Um, on the safety side, uh, very broad based, we look at everything from the time you arrive at a facility till the time you leave. And that could be just for a practice day, it could be for a regatta. Um, we talk about launch safety. Um, what's next for us is we're trying to, to um, you know, update the poster and get it more relevant. Um, maybe a series of posters. How many people actually go look at the poster? How many people actually go look at something that's got so many words on it, right? So we're looking at updating that to make it more useful. 
Um, uh, the webinars are huge. They're well attended. Uh, we get a lot of, of questions that come in. We like to have it converse, conversational style. So we'll all just, you know, the whole committee hopefully will participate this time. And um, Chris Chase does a great job of moderating. Um, and we let the, the audience basically drive where it goes. And that's made it um, a, a fun thing to do. And so it I can't tell you how many compliments we get from people about learning something new and they learn from each other, not just from the safety committee. Well, I think that's really critical because I know um, in master's rowing, there are a lot of egos and there's a lot of people who think they know what's best and they come from a lot of different backgrounds in mm -hmm. rowing. They might come from D1 in yeah. 1958, yes. you know, what was it called D1 at the time, but they might come from a very long tradition or they might mm -hmm. be a single scholar who never has to deal with a club or a coach or right. a cock, you know, they don't have to deal with, um, barriers to participation or, right. or structure or anything. And they come into these regattas and they're still in that way. And I think mm -hmm. where it, the breakdown I've seen is that it comes from this sort of nameless, faceless umpire, right? Mm -hmm. And now with the kind of a webinar where you're seeing your peers and seeing your colleagues and there's single scholars there and there's coaches there and there's other umpires, it really makes it more about the rowing community's right. um, commitment to keeping each other safe correct, and making sure we can do this in as many places as possible. Cause now we have everything to lose mm -hmm. if we're not being careful, correct? you know, especially with, with COVID. So we still have the issue and we hear about this. We still have the issue. Uh, I, I like a, uh, a bell curve, right? You've got uh, outliers. Um, we have those that don't really know anything. We have uh, the majority who want to learn, and then we have those that think they know everything, and they're still out there. Just heard a recent story about somebody who yelled back at somebody else because they, you know the person was standing on the dock trying to direct them in, and the person turned around and you know used some words we can't repeat, and basically said they knew how to dock their boat and they wasn't their coach and you could go away. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, those are the types of things that still exist out there so well kudos to you all because especially the umpires i'm talking about the umpire things because i know that for myself and for rachel and for a lot of people that mm -hmm. we know race day brain is <laughs> not a healthy brain <laughs> for some people it's not a nice brain right. for some people and one of the things that we love to talk about and i think i i introduced this to rachel was this concept of know your wake yeah mm -hmm. you know and that part of knowing your wake is being respectful and considerate of the referees who are there on a they're buying their own uniforms. They're paying for the. And the that man, was that, news to me. I learned that at nationals. Yeah, I didn't they're just. You all had to right. buy your they're own. really yeah. just loving the sport and wanting to make sure that you're safe. So Those, let's. You so know, I'll pretend that I've never sworn at a race <laughs> official from the coxswain. <laughs> oh, ever. Okay, I I agree to agree with that as well. <laughs> There's a lot of fingers crossed right <laughs> now. <laughs> so never happened. Okay, uh, so we really like to wrap up with our rapid fire Q and A. Okay, right. these are short, short answers. Okay, quick little answers. You want to go first? Here? Sure. Sweep or skull? Sweep. Single or double? Double. Head race or sprint race? Head race. Hmm, this one's just for you. Favorite safety tip? Wear a life jacket mm. while you're on the water. Mm, for rowers as well. Where for rowers, I'm talking yeah. about rowers. I want scholars to wear a life jacket. Great. If you have your favorite life jacket to recommend, we can put it in the show notes because I think that's where people get yeah. off track with that. Yes. What do I wear? How do I wear it? Do I wear the horse collar? Do I wear the yeah. waist belt? Right. Do I wear the one that explodes as soon as it hits the water? Do I wear the yeah. one where I have to pull it? Agreed. Yeah. 
Okay, I can't wait to ask you this one. <laughs> this is going to be so good. Favorite coxswain command to give or receive? Mm, this is supposed to be rapid fire. To give, step on it. Okay. And when you were a rower, and were you bowcoxing your pair? Uh, well, uh, no, but I was bowcoxing it from the stroke seat. <laughs> yeah. We actually mm -hmm. re rigged it around. So, yes, because I couldn't give in to the couldn't give into my starboard so we re-rigged it <laughs> so in that role were there any commands that you would give that really got you going i got that yeah did that. yeah relax yeah relax and breathe yeah yeah that relax i use that word a lot mm -hmm. a lot a lot i just did that this morning during our steady state row there you sure. go relax what is it too much for you tara no. <laughs> relax <laughs> i'm like yeah, she's trying yes. to get the shoulders to come yes. out of ears like, right now. I heard, um, show me your pearls. There you show go. Show me your, your bow tie. Show me your pearls. Yeah. Right. There you go. Okay. All right. And coffee before or after practice? Before, during, and after. Yes. Okay. Thank you. You're thank welcome. you so much. <laughs> so thank you so much, Rachel and you, for joining us on Steady State Podcast. And this was a great conversation. Yeah, and I really so want to make sure that we check back in with you and uh, follow up with you and U.S. Rowing and make sure that we are providing, we're helping move that conversation along about safety to juniors, masters, collegiate, everybody. They got to know. We yeah. would really appreciate that. Yeah. And thank you, Tara and Rachel, for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. Way right. enough. Way enough. <laughs> Way enough. Oh. Okay, good. To see photos of Rachel Lemieux and Martha's moms and get links to the people, clubs, and events mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes on our website. Did you know that Steady State is more than a podcast? We've got virtual events happening every week that bring together the rowing community from across the country and around the world. Join our version of the post-practice hangout. We call it Coffee Chat, and we shoot the breeze about our rowing week, rowing in the news, and more for about 30 minutes every Friday. Won't you join us at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on Facebook Live? Grab your favorite mug and add your voice to the conversation. Looking for workout buddies? Join us for Steady State Sundays, the fourth Sunday of each month at 6.45 a.m. Pacific, 9.45 Eastern. Register for the 60-minute Steady State ERG workout and we'll provide cues and insights to keep you motivated along the way. Work at your own pace and then stick around after to talk. To find out more about any of our events and claim your spot in our lineup, visit steadystatenetwork.com events. Into letter run. One, two, letter run. Oh, I love that she has a she has a pronoun. <laughs> Let great. her run, yeah. And I literally got chills. She said, <laughs> into let it run. Yeah. <laughs> One, two. I was like, <laughs> 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 I'm gonna miss sweep so much. <laughs>